Your happily ever after is waiting for you in the Chrysler Pacifica and Pacifica plug-in hybrid. With available all-wheel drive, Pacifica helps handle adverse conditions like magic. And with the plug-in hybrid, it can help your range anxiety disappear. Make your drive even more enchanted in the Chrysler Pacifica. And watch Disney's Disenchanted, now streaming only on Disney Plus, rated PG. Disney Plus subscription required. Must be 18 plus to subscribe. EPA estimated 520 mile total range with a fully charged battery. Actual mileage may vary. If you're busy like me, going to the video store is a hassle. With Netflix, just make a list of the movies you want to see. And in about one business day, you'll get three delivered to your house. Keep them as long as you want, without late fees. Finish one, return it in this prepaid envelope, and they'll send you another movie from your list. We've come a long way from the days of mail-in Netflix subscriptions and blockbuster rentals. Yeah, be kind and rewind. I remember that, don't you? Today, it's hard to find a movie or TV show that you can't get online for free or just a few dollars. But there are just so many different services way beyond Netflix and Hulu or Amazon Prime. There's Peacock, Tubi, Canopy, Disney+, HBO Max, Verve, Vimeo, Crackle, Voodoo, IMDb, Hoopla, and of course, YouTube, and probably a dozen more. Nuts, isn't it? You just want to watch something on your television. Well, with anything tech-related, you really have to follow the money. And that's exactly what we're going to do in this Tech You Should Know podcast. What's the biggest service out there? What's the difference between streaming services? Some have shows with advertising. Some don't. To sell advertising, there has to be data tracked. So what's up with that kind of data? And does this sort of tracking even matter? Dan Rayburn is the former executive vice president of StreamingMedia.com, a principal analyst at the research and consulting firm Frost & Sullivan, and he publishes market data and analysis on streaming services all the time. Let's just say Dan is super smart, And Dan really knows his stuff. And we're so lucky to have him here on this podcast. Today, we're going to go behind the scenes of these streaming services on This Tech You Should Know, a conversation that will make you rethink some of your subscriptions. And you're going to learn a heck of a lot about streaming services. So don't go anywhere. Stay right where you are. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, certainly the pandemic has had a tremendous effect on the streaming industry. Can you give us some numbers? Because everybody's sitting at home watching Netflix, Hulu, right, Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, and the list just goes on and on. What has that growth been like? Yeah, so thanks for having me. Well, you know, the, way, the best way to look at growth is to look at the number of subscribers these services have. So people like to disguise their opinions as facts. <laughs> Right. You have people who go around and go, no, this service is better than that one. Well, it depends on who you are and what you want to watch. Do you like short form, long form, original content, depth and breadth of catalog, sports, news? There's a lot of different services out there to your to your point. So we have to look at the number of subscribers. Disney puts out how many subscribers they have for ESPN Plus, Hulu, and they break out live versus on demand, as well as Disney Plus. Peacock puts out, or I should say NBC Universal puts out numbers on Peacock. The most recent number is 15 million. 
So most of these services do put out numbers. Think of Sling TV, think of AT&T TV now. They put out numbers as well, as does FUBU, which is now a public company. Uh, Google hasn't put out numbers on YouTube TV in quite some time, but the last number they gave out was $2 million. That's how many were paying for it. So we do know that consumers obviously love getting their video fixed the way they can, but at the same time, it's it's very fragmented market for them. A lot of them, to your point, have so many choices in the market that it can be confusing trying to figure out which service do I get on which platform. And a great example would be NBC's Peacock wasn't available on Roku. But you know, a few weeks ago, they announced, okay, we're, we're now on Roku. They've, they've signed a deal. Yeah, HBO Max isn't as of yet. Uh, it's not on the Amazon platform and it's not on the Roku platform. So it is very confusing in the market. Well, and the pandemic certainly hasn't made it any easier because people are struggling, like you said, like, you know, what do I find? What do I watch? I recently wrote a USA Today column where we broke out the ways that you could get your streaming services for like $20 a month, $30 a month, $40 a month, $50 a month. Because if you're not careful, the cost can really go back to cable. And that was really the impetus in the beginning for people to cut the cable and then find the streaming services. What is the average person paying per month for all their streaming services? Well, we don't really know. There's a lot of so-called data out there uh, where the methodology and collection is wrong because what they're not factoring in is, is consumers are getting these services in bundles in places where they're not paying for it. So I bought a new LG OLED TV last year. I got Disney Plus for free for a year. Are you counting me as a subscriber? Some services are and some aren't. Uh, some of the data in the market says, well, I'm not a paying subscriber, so it doesn't matter. Yes, but do I turn into a paying subscriber? Because lifetime value of the customer is really what these OTT services are looking at. So we do know that if you throw in music, I think it's interesting. A lot of times people don't think of Spotify or Pandora, but we know there's a lot of households paying for that. If you throw in that with the video services and then also throw in something like Prime, which a lot of people get for the free shipping, but it has video benefits, you definitely have three to four services per household. But that's growing because to your point, initially when a lot of people were thinking about cutting the cord, they were going to what we call live linear services. So Sling TV, PlayStation View, which is no longer around, Hulu with live TV, YouTube TV. Those services all came to the market offering one value proposition from day one. Cheap, 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 cheap. The problem is in the last two or three years, they've all raised pricing where the average package on those services to get the types of channels consumers want, their local sports teams, is 55 to $60. Well, in a triple play bundle, for me, with Verizon Fios, with phone and internet, my entire cable TV bill is $62. So that's why we haven't seen a very large surge in the number of live streaming services out in the market. Now, when we go to AVOD and SVOD, AVOD is advertising video on demand. So services that are free that generate revenue from advertising. And then SVOD subscription video on demand. So things like Netflix, right, where there's no ads, but it's subscription. We're seeing a lot of uptick and growth there when we look at those numbers. Just look at Disney Plus, you know, 65 million subs at least based on the last number they gave us in less than a year. That is absolutely incredible. However, when Disney was first coming out, there were tons and tons of analysts going, well, people will cancel Netflix to get Disney. What have we found? They didn't. They want both. Different types of content. 
targeting different types of users. And see, and that's the interesting thing that a lot of people don't realize and they don't really think about is that there are – I want to backtrack just a second because you made a really interesting distinction that there are streaming services that are, quote, unquote, free, right? And there's advertising in it. And then there's subscription-based services, obviously, where we're paying a monthly fee. Tell us a little bit about the free streaming services because I know that's what everybody wants. You know, where can I get my movies for free? I mean, we have a list of 10 different sites on commando.com where you can get free movies and free shows, places like Canopy. And I think that one article over the last 30 days has had like, I don't know, it's a crazy number, like 400,000 page views. Sure. So let's let's talk a little bit about the the free services for just a second. Which ones do you think are are the top ones? Well, see, that depends on how you define top. So what you have to look at is again, it's most of the things compared to my industry are not an apples to apples comparison. So the type of content you're getting on the free services, it's not first run movies. A lot of that content is not in higher quality. It's not in 4K in many cases. I look at all these services, and I use about 100 different OTT services here in the U.S. Now, I'm not the average consumer. I have access to them all. The companies provide me with free accounts, right? They want me to stay on top of this as an analyst. But the, the AVOD services consumers have probably heard of are Pluto TV, uh, IMDB TV, which is owned by Amazon. Peacock has a free version of the service. Zumo, uh, Tubi, uh, YouTube has free movies as well. And for some consumers, you know, that's okay. They're okay watching older movies. But if you really go and look at the content that's on these services, it is older content that is not really what's driving subscription. So what's driving subscription, paying subscriptions to Amazon and Hulu and, and Netflix? It's original content. It's series it's being able to binge watch an entire series over a weekend. That's not what the AVOD services offer. It's just a completely different service. So there really is a true distinction, and there is, between the ability to watch something on Tubi versus watching something like The Amazing Mrs. Maisel on Amazon, which, you know, when we first saw the logo for Amazon before a show, I, I think I said to my family something like, you have to remember, this started out as a bookstore online, okay? And look what a monolith this has become, and especially when we start looking at streaming services. Um, how much original content, how much money are they putting in? The I'm saying like the Amazons, the Netflix, the Hulus, in original programming versus, say, what a Hollywood studio would do? Because it seems like they're, they're really spending a lot of money on these series. They are, and they, they don't break it out completely in terms of how much they're spending. Um, you know, Netflix does. I think it's about $12 billion this year. Um, I have to double-check that number, but it's it, Netflix for sure is spending more money than anyone else on original content. Some of the others are taking a different approach. For instance, we just saw this morning that uh, Amazon just licensed the Coming to America, Coming to America, the second one. It's not going to go in the theaters now. It's going to come direct to Amazon. So Amazon paid, the rumored price is $125 million. We don't know if that's accurate, but Amazon paid to get that. So that's not really original content, but it is a, a, a newer movie. Um, when it comes to the original content, it's really Netflix and Amazon that are spending the most money creating original content. Hulu is as well. But the number one cost in this entire business is content creation, right? Content is king is the term we use. So if you're licensing content, 
or you're creating original content, that's your biggest cost. And I think, you know, the way to, to really look at, to your point in Netflix and what they've done since they first started streaming in 2007, something very different has happened in the market that people haven't really noticed. When Netflix was first in the market for a few years with streaming, they really highlighted the depth and breadth of their catalog. At one point, they were actually publishing, you know, we have 25,000 titles you can pick from, right? It was a big, big number. And over the years, what they realized was the cost to license this content is getting very expensive. And a lot of that content is getting outdated. So they shifted their model to we're going to provide less choice and content for consumers. But the choice we provide, we think is going to be such high quality because we're producing it that we believe we can still grow a service on that. And if you look at the number today, it fluctuates every day. But in the U.S., Netflix has about 6,000 titles available for streaming. It's down 75% from when they first were really big with streaming back in, call it, 2010, 2011. So what has changed? Well, <laughs> they changed consumers' habit. They got us used to wanting really, really great content as opposed to like, okay, there's tons of movies I can watch. And I'm kind of overwhelmed. These movies are really old. They completely changed Wow, who would have ever thought that Netflix library would actually be going down instead of up, especially in the light that we're all sitting on our couches in the middle of the pandemic looking for stuff to watch? Well, stay right where you are, because when we come back, we're going to be talking more about streaming services. And we're going to be talking in particular about some niche streaming services that you might want to check out. And what about some data? I mean, certainly these streaming services are tracking everything that we're watching and everything that we're doing. So what's going on with all of that? So stay right where you are. We'll be right back. Since our founding in 2000, we at the Center for Internet Security have always had one mission. It's to create confidence in the connected world for people, businesses, and governments. As a nonprofit, we do this by drawing upon our core competencies of collaboration and innovation. The world is changing, cyber threats are evolving, and IT resources are limited. All you want is a way to strengthen your cybersecurity programs efficiently and effectively. Let CIS help you with these efforts. We use a consensus-based process involving IT professionals from around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources are proven to defend systems and data against threats, both on-premises and in the cloud. We also strive to help organizations of every size and maturity strengthen their cybersecurity programs. This includes serving U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations. At CIS, we're all about making the connected world a safer place. Visit our website to learn more. We're talking to Dan Rayburn about streaming services because, gosh, it just gets so confusing. All the different options that we have out there, all the different ways that we can get our streaming services. And it's not just video, it's also audio. So, Dan, we're just talking about Netflix's library that has gone down considerably over since they actually started streaming in 2007. Is Amazon following suit? Because those two seem to be going head to head. Well, yes. I mean, they do go head to head, but keep in mind they're very different business models here. And I think this is something consumers don't realize in many cases is that the parent company that owns a lot of these streaming services has a, a bigger business model. So, for instance, HBO Max, they're owned by a wireless telecommunications company, AT&T. Prime Video is owned by Amazon, a commerce platform. Sling TV is owned by Dish. 
a cable company. So there's different reasons from a business standpoint why some of these streaming services do what they do and also different ways they can make money. So for instance, Netflix makes 100% of their revenue from what? Selling a streaming service. Disney with Disney Plus makes money from direct-to-consumer with Disney Plus, but they also make money when the movie theaters are open, when their parks are open, you know, cruise lines. They have a diversified revenue stream. So they can market and target their service very differently than, than others. Think of Amazon too. They own hardware, right? They own devices. Well, Netflix doesn't own devices and neither does Disney. So there's a lot of different business models behind the scenes that consumers don't really see, and that's okay. And, and to your question, Amazon has always been focused on original content and licensing content at the same time. And they take a bit of a different approach because they're also running a couple different properties. So Amazon does a lot with live sports, right? They do a ton of live sports. They've gone out and they've gotten rights to NFL and all kinds of things in Europe on football and soccer. Well, Netflix doesn't do live sports. They're not in that business at all. So why is Amazon doing it? Because they're wanting to drive people to their platform so that hopefully people buy things and do other things, not just physical goods, but digital goods were on the platform. But Netflix doesn't sell anything. At the same time, Amazon also has a free advertising video on demand service called IMDb TV because they own the IMDb website. So Amazon is, is doing similar things to Netflix, but just keep in mind that their, their reasoning behind it and their business model is quite different. So when we start talking more about content, let's zoom in on, I really think a lot of folks are wondering, like, you know, what are the biggest hits when we start talking about the streaming services? I mean, certainly we can look at movie ratings and we can see how the box office is doing, but we don't have those exact numbers when we start talking about the streaming services. So looking across all the platforms, are there any real standout series that you can say, well, you know, the morning show on Disney Plus was fabulous. Uh, the Handmaiden's Tale was this. Are there any type of charts that say, like, you know, these are the ones that really were the breakout series for these streaming services? Yeah, it's a great question. The answer is no, nothing that we can rely on. And the reason is that almost all of these services provide no data or analytics back to not only the content owners themselves, but to the industry. So Disney did Hamilton. How many people signed up just for Hamilton? We have no idea. What is the churn and retention of these services? Even the public companies don't disclose that on their earnings calls every quarter. We do every once in a while get something from Netflix or another service where they say, uh, you know, 37% of our subscribers watch the new Adam Sandler, you know, special we have. Yeah, but did they watch it from end to end or did they only watch the first 10 minutes? Well, they don't really say. And then a lot of these services also, especially on the advertising side, they measure things based on what's called MAU, monthly active user. But their methodology is if you opened up the app and you didn't even watch a video that month, they consider you an active user. Well, that's completely bogus. So one of the biggest problems we have in this industry is we have a lack of transparency from these companies. We have a lack of data from these companies. We don't know churn and retention. It's very hard to figure out which series are super popular and which ones aren't. And that's why you see every year you see Amazon and you see Netflix say what? Well, we're not bringing this series back for season two. So what that tells you is they have data internally that says why they're not bringing it back. They don't share that with us. But these companies have a huge amount of underlying data to help them make decisions on the type of content that they should offer. 
And yeah, it would be great if they shared that with us so we knew, but it's just not something they do. Um, before we talk about the data and how much they're tracking, and I also have a, a article post on our website about how people can turn off the tracking. What happened to Quibi and what does that stand for anyway? Yeah, Quibi. So Quibi stands for Quick Bytes, and it's a service that came out early in the year, specifically only for mobile. And they initially raised a billion dollars, and it was the idea that uh, consumers need a new service just for mobile that they should pay for. And the content was all over the place. Uh, we don't have enough time in, in the day to talk about <laughs> all the fundamental problems that Quibi has from day one. But let me just sum it up one way in terms of what's wrong with their business. Egos. The egos of the executives who started that company is what's killing it. And they are struggling right now. The rumors are that they have four hundred to 500,000 paying subs. They're, they're trying to sell the business. Nobody's interested in it so far. Their content is all over the map. And they didn't understand what consumers really want from a video streaming service. And they basically told consumers, we're going to give you something and you're going to change your behavior that you have now of how you watch video and we're going to force you to do it. I mean, what kind of egos do you have to think you're going to do that with consumers? Makes no sense. And then what happened? The pandemic hit. Everybody's at home and consumers are like, well, I'd, I'd like to get this video from my iPhone to the TV, but you don't even provide an option. They didn't even provide an option for you to share it on social. And this is a mobile only platform. So Quibi should be studied in all universities on everything you do wrong in terms of starting a business. Not only from the technology, they have a lot of really smart, great technology people over there. But from a business standpoint, they made every mistake they could possibly make. So who do you think is the best? Who's doing the greatest job in providing none? There is no best. There, <laughs> there is no best, right? Because it's, it's, well, the best at what? Right, live news, sports, on demand, advertising, and best measured how based on quality of video, based on the platform supported. All right, so would you put HBO Max on the top of the list from a best standpoint, just from number of platforms and options supported? No, because you can't get HBO today on your Amazon platform, and you can't get it on Roku. So what does that mean? It means if you're a consumer that has either one of those platforms as your default streaming service, you can't get HBO Max not physically possible. Now, we expect that AT&T, which owns HBO, HBO Max and, and Amazon and Roku, we do expect them to get a deal at some point done, just like NBC Universal did with Roku for the Peacock service. But you have to measure these services in many different ways. And, and you can't just say, okay, this one's better than this one. It, it may not be, but also what's best for you isn't what's best for me based on our different interests in content and how we want to view content and what the business model is. Do you want it free? Do you want it ad supported? Do you want it subscription? Do you want a combination of the two? Hulu costs you money to get, but they also insert ads. Yeah, that doesn't seem right. I mean, if you're paying for a subscription, why are you getting the ads? Yeah. But why do they? Because the content licensing costs are so expensive. It goes back to what's the biggest cost? content. Boy, isn't this just fascinating? I mean, I hope that you're really enjoying this behind the scenes look at what's really going on with the streaming services, because Dan certainly knows exactly what he's talking about. And that's why I know that you love this podcast, Tech You Should Know, because we always find the top folks in their field. And it's just so invigorating for me to speak to someone who is going 
not just in a marketing way, but really telling us what's going on. So stay right where you are, because we're going to take a quick break for a message from our partners in this podcast, because we're really going to dive into the data. What exactly are these companies tracking, and what can you do about it? And we'll be right back. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. It's Tech You Should Know. It's the podcast where we really dive into particular subjects and go behind the scenes, especially in this podcast with the streaming services, because I know you're probably really confused about what's going on and how come your streaming bill is as high as it is when you thought you were going to cut the cable and then suddenly you're going to be saving some money. Well, it doesn't really happen that way, does it? So, Dan, we've talked about the advertising-supported services and the subscription-based services. How much data are these streaming services tracking about people? I mean, because certainly if it's advertising supported, they have to have certain demographics in order to get a certain CPM and certain targets. Is that how it's working? There's a huge amount of tracking taking place. But, you know, people talk about tracking as if that's negative. And I'm not really under, I don't really understand why that's the case. I think, I think Americans as a whole have this idea that, um, you know, it's all about privacy and they don't like being told they can or can't do something because that's kind of just Americans that had sort of how we are. But keep in mind, when Netflix is tracking what you're watching, they're tracking that so that the next time you come to the platform, they can make a better recommendation of something else you think they're going to like. So why is that a bad thing, right? Tracking should be good because I want a personalized service. What all these services keep talking about on the streaming side is we want to provide a personalization to you as the consumer. Because again, what you like and what I like are very different. So when you log into your Netflix service versus me, we should be given different pieces of content based on what we've watched in the past. And that's what these recommendation engines do. They're analyzing what we've watched, when we've watched it, the platform we're watching it on. Is it a large screen? Is it a small screen? And they're going to make recommendations to us. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that tracking. That's what makes the service better. So... The fact that we are being tracked in terms of our content preferences and the platform that we're on enables them to give us a better experience. So I don't think there's any downside or, or, you know, bad thing that these companies are doing as far as tracking. You can also opt out of it if you want to. But again, if you opt out of it, you might be given and you will be given content that is of no relevance to you whatsoever. So if I'm watching a Netflix pick documentaries, original series and whatnot. If I turn off all tracking and whatnot, the next time I come on, they might offer me kids cartoons. Well, I'm not interested in that. So now I'm wasting time to find what I really want to watch simply because I'm not allowing them to track my habits anymore. I don't see the benefit. Well, but I think what a lot of people are afraid of is that the tracking, for example, that's happening on Facebook is that if I only see certain things, then if then I'm only subject to see things of the same nature. And so because that's so pervasive, especially now because 60% or more Americans get all of their news from Facebook, 
is that they really ha- don't have a total view of what's going on because it's so they, the algorithms are running everything that they're seeing instead of opening up a window. And so, but it's not a fair comparison. Why is that? Facebook is doing news in real time. It's doing comments from other people. It's doing political, here's what happened in the news today. That's not what Netflix does. Netflix doesn't have any live content. (laughs) Netflix doesn't do live news. Netflix is doing movies and TV shows. That's all it's doing. It's also not, you're, you're not as a user, you're not uploading any information to the platform in the sense that you're not leaving comments. Right? You're not taking a, a political view on anything. Um, you're not signing up to groups. Facebook is a completely different platform, and, and the type of information that's being collected is extremely different. And keep in mind, Facebook is collecting a lot of that for one main purpose, advertising. Well, Netflix doesn't show any advertising. But what do the advertising-supported services track? I mean, you, and it is true. It's, it's two different services. But I think many people are afraid of all the tracking that's going on in our lives. And so if they find out that, yeah, there's one more place that's being tracked, it's like, you know, now we're learning that podcasters are now tracking where we're listening to a podcast and uh, how much we listen to it and other type of data that's being put into these apps. Yeah, I, I get that, but I'm using the phrase with people with everything going on right now in, in the world. Look, facts over fear, right? You can run around saying, oh, you know, I'm scared of all this and that. First and foremost, most consumers don't even know what's being tracked. They have no idea, right? They just assume something's being tracked or it's being done in a bad way. So the first thing I always say is go to every one of these platforms you're using and look at what's being tracked. Like They, they list out in detail, here's what we're tracking about you. Here's how we're tracking what you do, what you look at. And if you want to opt out, here's a way you can opt out, right? It's, it's very simple. So if you look at the, the advertising video on demand services, they are tracking things like, first and foremost, it's all around the platform, right? Are you on an Android phone or are you on an iPhone? Are you using the Roku platform, using the, the Amazon platform? I mean, do consumers care that somebody knows they have a Roku in their house? <laughs> I don't know why, right? It's just a piece of hardware, um, so, yes, it, there is tracking taking place so that advertisers for these advertising platforms can hopefully deliver a more targeted ad to that user based on their recommendations. So if I'm watching content that's all around sports, and let's say it's all around action and whatnot, Roku and others are going to want to sell an ad to an advertiser based on the demographic of somebody who's trying to target a product to probably a demographic of a male between 25 and 35 who likes that type of content. Showing them a video ad for, you know, children's toys isn't targeted. So the data collection, the primary thing it's being used for is ad targeting. That's the number one thing. Yeah, because that's where, the make, that's where you make the money because you get a higher CPM. If, it, if you know that that's a male 25 to 34 or, and that they may have a couple of kids in the house or they're single or whatever. So it's the more data points that you can get on somebody, the higher that – that's likely. Yeah, the more targeted, but also how they, it works with engagement, right? Because it's one thing to target an ad. It's another thing to track how engaged was the person with the ad. So engagement is the biggest high-level umbrella term they're using from a metric standpoint of anyone can deliver an ad, but was the viewer engaged with it? How do they actually track the engagement? I mean, is there the option to click on something? Great question. So none of them will, none of them will detail it. Right? They don't really go into details because they all consider this sort of proprietary and secret. But the way they're tracking engagement is really around, well, first and foremost, did you watch the entire ad or did you close it out? 
did you actually click through if you're able to did you click through on the ad for more information did you open up your browser if you're on the computer and google what that product was so there's different ways that they're tracking engagement some of it is definitely a bit high level and a little bit of it for some of these that i've seen it's, it's a guessing game but they're trying to get back to advertisers and saying um you know we want to do more than just deliver the right ad for you we want to deliver it to the right person and then we're hoping we can tell you back here's the business return on investment in terms of you delivering that ad what is the uplift now maybe the person didn't buy the ad but they went on twitter and they tweeted out something about that particular product right there's different ways to track it there it's harder to do that on streaming platforms because they don't have browsers on them so if you're watching something on the roku you can't all of a sudden pull up a browser and google a product but you can do that online you know, that's really fascinating because we sell advertising, obviously, on national radio, network radio, and also online. And it's always interesting to me how how the sponsors and how the advertisers will be doing the tracking and what type of return on investment do they really want. Um, where do you think the future of streaming services is going? The future is what we have now. We have a lot of options in the market. We have a lot of different choices for consumers. And I've always said, I think, I think all consumers would say choice is great, right? We like lots of choices. At the same time, with choice comes complexity and fragmentation in the market. So many consumers, I think, are saying, geez, how many streaming services do we need? And the biggest frustration for them is, and, and I know this just because I talk to all my friends who are not like in the space, they're the average consumer. And, and for instance, you know, they like a series, friends, pick the office, whatever it is, right? And they're used to watching it on Netflix, Amazon, whatever. And then one day they can't see it anymore. They can't find it. Well, that's weird. What, what happened? Well, it turns out Friends is no longer on office. It now went to another platform. Well, they don't know that. They're not tracking which series goes to which platform for which period of time, and then it comes back to this platform or it's exclusive over here. That's extremely confusing. The other thing you find too is we call it the windowing called the windowing of content, meaning how quickly does it take content to be in a certain window of distribution? So just think of movies, right? When a movie comes to the movie theater, it's in the movie theater for a certain period of time. Then what happens? Then it comes to, uh, you know, on-demand rentals through your cable company. Then it comes to, you know, DVDs, right? That's the windowing. Uh, the windowing has been compressed on the streaming side because things are coming to streaming platforms much faster. But for instance, you'll see things take, um, take Fargo, the new series out, take things that the New York Times is doing. It's interesting when you see the ads on TV, how it says, you know, streaming on this service tonight. Oh, and available the next day on Hulu. So it's actually not available at the same time, but consumers don't get that, right? Or they go to watch a series and like the entire series isn't available. It's only the first two episodes because episodes three and four don't come till six months later. Yes, it it does get really confusing. I mean, you know, take Shit's Creek, fabulous series. Okay, we watched the whole thing by buying it on Apple Plus, and then now it's for free on Netflix. And it's like, well, we were just sitting around saying, okay, that was series six. Did we watch that? I mean, or is that new on Netflix? It does get really confusing when they put the content on all these different services, and uh, and then people are sitting back saying, you know, now where is it? Um, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything else that, that we should know about streaming services? Thank you for having me. I mean, there's so much to talk about with streaming services. The one recommendation I'd make to consumers is don't let it overwhelm you. 
right, there's three easy steps to figure this out. First and foremost, decide what type of content you like. Right, that, that's we all we all have very busy days now. Right? We only have a limited amount of time in the day that we can go on Facebook or go on LinkedIn or all the social platforms or Instagram or Netflix or Amazon. We have a limited number of hours in the day. So first and foremost, figure out what type of content do you like in the time that you have? Second, what type of business model do you like the most? Do you want free? Do you want paid? Do you want pay to own and download? Do you want rentals? It's probably a combination of, of all of those. And then third, think about bundling. Bundling is important because a lot of services you might be taking now when you go to renew them might provide a free service to you. So for Verizon Wireless customers that were on limited plans, they were getting Disney Plus free for a whole year. If you went out and bought a new iPhone, you got AT&T Plus, uh, sorry, you got Apple TV Plus for a year. So also think about bundling and some of these services you could get for free for other things you're already buying anyway. Okay, that was a lot to digest. I get it. But those final tips are definitely something to think about. Streaming services are more popular than ever. They all have their own compelling libraries of movies and TV shows. But if you're not careful, you could end up spending a ton of money each month. Over at Commando.com, we have a list of 10 free streaming services. Just check it out and save some money. And about the data tracking, I know so many of you really like your privacy. Every streaming service collects data on you in one form or another, but you don't have to keep it that way. Netflix collects a large amount of data from you, and most of it goes towards content recommendations. In other words, what you watch determines the stuff that Netflix shows you while you browse. For a more private Netflix experience, you have to clean out your viewing history from time to time. We have the steps at our website. Unlike Netflix, Hulu lets you disable quite a bit more of this data collection. It may collect more data about you up front and share it with its partners, but you can easily disable the tracking with just a few menu options. If you'd like to know how to wipe out the tracking on Hulu, along with Roku, YouTube, Amazon Prime, and others, just search Commando for the phrase, Stop Streaming Services from Tracking You. Once again, that phrase is Stop Streaming Services from Tracking You. There is no one streaming service out there that's best for everyone. I mean, our producer, Cassidy, she really misses the days of commercial breaks, and she once paid for cable so that she could see the commercials again. So take what you learned in this podcast and go through your subscriptions. Think about what services you really need. What can you do without? Can you bundle anything and then save some money? I'd like to thank Dan Rayburn again for joining us on this Tech You Should Know. And I also want to thank our producers, Mike James and Cassidy Taylor, for all the work that they do behind the scenes. And thank you for catching this episode. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any more great interviews like this. And in case you're wondering, this is not the three-hour Kim Commando national radio show. You can get that over at GetKim.com. There's a 30-day free trial. After that, it's just a few bucks a month. And we have great discounts for seniors, military, and service personnel. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your support of our programs and our website, especially now in this economy and during this pandemic. I know, it's just crazy. But it'll be over soon. I know it well. I'm America's Digital Pro, Kim Commando.